Well, I tried the East Coast, but I couldn't feel the vibe. I never learned the words to the young man's diatribe. Gave up my march and followed no one for a change. I saw the light and it ain't so strange. Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. You're listening to a clip of Misunderstood by Palomera, a singer-songwriter who calls Cincinnati home. Palomera is our featured musical artist this week, so hang around to the end of the podcast. We'll tell you a little bit more about his music and let you listen to the rest of the song. Right now, let's throw another log on that fire. It's time for a new mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder. With me, as always, is our researcher and storyteller, Paula Schleiss, an award-winning journalist who spent 30 years writing for the Akron Beacon Journal. Hey, everybody. So, Paula, where are you taking us tonight? Steve, we've got another old one. Tonight's story happened 99 years 99 ago years this long. month. This month. This month. Nice. But in Ohio's Harrison County, it's still remembered, no doubt, because of its brutality. Harrison County. Would I know anything there? Well, Harrison is near Ohio's western edge, not far from Steubenville. It's a quick drive to the West Virginia border. There are only about 15,000 residents in the entire county, and no doubt way, way less than that back in 1920. But listen to this lineup of Harrison County residents. Cy Young. Oh, the baseball pitcher? That's the one in the oh. same. George Custer. Ah, the Civil War general from the Battle of Little Bighorn. Yep. And how well do you know your classic Hollywood stars? Ever hear of a guy named Clark Gable? Yeah, Caddy's Ohio. Yeah. yeah. You know, you'd be surprised how many young people don't know some of these early silver screen pioneers. But for more than one generation, movie stars didn't get much bigger or better looking than Clark Gable. You know, I was in Caddy's one time and there was a sign, home of Clark. That's all. That's oh, yeah. the only reason why I knew. Oh, yeah. He was a super, superstar. How about Edwin Stanton? Ah, uh, I think you got me. I don't know who that is. Okay, well, during Abraham Lincoln's administration, he was the country's Secretary of War. Ah, so Harrison County is small. But putting out its share of brains, looks, and power. Oh, yeah. Nice. Well, there's one other resident of Harrison County I want to tell you about, one that would be lesser known to anyone outside of that area, because she was just 11 years old when Ooh. she left us, or should I say, taken from us. Her name was Frances South, and she lived in the village of Adena, which actually straddles the border of Harrison and Jefferson counties. I never heard of Adena. It's, it's a small town, and on March 25th, 1920, Frances's mom, she's very ill, so she sends little Frances off to retrieve some medicine from the village drugstore. At 11.30 a.m., Frances leaves her house wearing her tam-o'-shanter. Mm, it's a tam-o'-shanter. Uh, it's a Scottish cap. It's mostly worn by men, kind of poofy but flat on top. 
Picture a Scottish golfer okay. that might come to mind. Yeah, I see it now. Okay, well, the hours tick by, and Frances doesn't return. Her mom is too ill to leave her bed to investigate. There isn't much she can do but wait for her husband to get home. And when he arrives at 6 o'clock, his wife sends him straight back out, go find Francis. So he enlists the help of some neighbors, and they set off. Within an hour, they find her. Three men, Walter Thompson, John Shields, and John Galloway, were walking in an area of the village known prophetically as Dark Hollow when they saw a trail of blood leading from the road. They followed it into the woods, and they found little Frances, bound and naked, buried beneath a pile of leaves. She had been brutalized, raped, beaten, strangled. Her hands had been bound behind her with a red cord. She was gagged with a handkerchief. Well, the next day, the coroner will rule she had been kicked to death. Residents of Harrison and Jefferson counties react quickly to the shocking news. The next day, banks close, stores close, manufacturers even suspend operations. With area men now freed up from their obligations, they grabbed their guns and formed groups of posses and started scouring the area. A local pastor, the Reverend Ashburn, led one group. Francis's father led another. That was a typical reaction for a rural community back in that time. Police and sheriff's departments were sparsely staffed, so citizens often turned into vigilantes. And sometimes that meant firing up the torches and storming the streets and the fields. Of course, that kind of mob mentality can take on a life of its own. As rumors circulated about seven different men who had been picked up for questioning, the bands of local farmers and miners separated to cover all the local roads with the intention of intercepting the suspects and their guards. The newspaper reported the posses appeared ready to lynch someone. Authorities separated their suspects and took them to different parts of the county, trying to protect them. When word circulated that one man was being held at the local jail, a crowd of 500 people surrounded the building until they could be convinced that no one was there. Back at the South Home, the Red Cross sent volunteers to look after Frances's ailing mother. There were four other children who had to be cared for, especially with their father out with a posse. The local newspaper said Frances's mom had taken a turn for the worse, grief putting her at the point of death. Other citizens were trying to help by chipping in for a reward. In four days' time, with children emptying their piggy banks and businessmen opening their cash registers, they put together a $2,000 pot for information leading to the conviction of Francis. That's a lot of money back then. That was for a little rural town. Yeah. Well, Sheriff Western T. Baker of Jefferson County and Sheriff Dodd of Carroll County took the lead in the investigation. But critics would later say their focus was fatally flawed. For instance, a red cord found at the scene of the crime was initially described as belonging to a military hat. So there was initially this look for somebody who had a military past. But Frances's mom recognized the cord as being a decoration on her daughter's tam shanter Authorities then announced they were looking for a black man or a foreigner because the cord used to tie Frances's hands 
look like the kind only a poor immigrant or Negro would use to hold up their pants. Sure enough, the first five suspects dragged in for questioning were black or foreign. A train conductor vouched for the black men, saying he could verify they were all on his train to Steubenville at the time Francis was murdered. The sheriff also took all of their shoes to the crime scene and compared them with the footprints that were found in the soft clay. None of the shoes matched the prints. I mean, I could see why they would turn to out-of-towners, but no. Yeah, you're right. Just picking up. You're right. It would be hard to think that somebody in town who yeah. knew the South family would have done this. You, d- you don't want to believe it, but actually it's probably most likely yeah. somebody they know. I could see that. Yeah. There was another suspect arrested, and his name was Just Texas. He was a 45-year-old from nearby Ramsey. Just Texas. Just Texas. And simply described the newspapers as the Greek so he had two middle two two nicknames. <laughs> well, <laughs> just Texas. Just Texas. Sounds like a nickname to Greek. me, but okay. Well, all all five men, the the four black men from the train and just Texas, they were all eventually released. On March thirty one, so this is six days after Francis was killed, a twenty nine year old miner with Russian roots by the name of Mike Anonchek was arrested after the discovery of blood on his clothing found at the boarding house where he was staying. Now, Anonchek claimed the bloody garments belonged to his roommate, Prako Paskovich. So they arrested him. They even arrested the landlord of the boarding house, Helena Kowalski, just for good measure. You can tell by all of these names, all probably immigrants. And they all denied involvement, of course. But very quickly, a grand jury was actually seated to hear evidence in the Anonchek case, the one with the bloody clothing in his room. And authorities asked for an indictment. Well, during testimony, there was this dramatic moment where Anonchek's attorney asked his client where he had received bruises that were on his face. And Anonchek pointed to John Crawford. He was the local game warden who had been made acting constable of the case. And he said he did it. He did it. And just to seal the deal, Anonchek was able to prove he was several miles away from the crime scene during the hours of the murder. Well, he was released. Constable Crawford, however, was not. It was learned later he had been beating up all kinds of people during interrogations. He had even pushed around that boarding house landlord. He was charged with assault and battery, and removed from his position. Well, the local townspeople, they were fed up. On April 6th, so this is less than two weeks after Francis' death, a petition signed by more than 1,000 people was forwarded to Ohio Governor James Cox. It criticized investigators and said authorities did not even arrive on the scene of the murder until 15 hours after the body was discovered. 15 hours, jeez. What in the world? Yeah, that's... That's ridiculous. And this petition complained that these guys had spent too few hours investigating and way too much time politicking. And the petition read in part, we hereby publish our utter contempt... So this is a petition by the people. This is the petition that was signed by the 1,000 people. Okay. We hereby publish our utter contempt for the manner in which the county authorities, whose duty it is to prosecute crime and enforce the law, have acted in the matter of the murder of Francis South. 
their action again demonstrates the inefficiency of county officials who hold political office and have no sense of responsibility or duty other than to assume title of office and draw salary. Voice well, of the people. Well, they, they, yeah. they had enough. Right. So on April 15, now this is 20 days after the murder, a man named Harry Miller confessed to the crime. This guy, he was formerly of Akron. He had just moved to West Virginia, and he was at a revival meeting in a little church in the village of Beach Bottom, West Virginia, when the pastor called for sinners to come forward. So Henry Miller threw up his hands and shouted, God, have mercy on my soul. I killed the little girl at Adena. Well, so of course he gets arrested, and he goes on to tell the police that he'd hit the little girl over the right eye with a pistol because she said bad things to him. Then he threw his revolver in a ravine and hid his bloody shirt in a hollow tree. Well, none of this was true. Miller told police he had been working in Adena at the time of the murder. Had been working in town for weeks. Police took the unusual step of putting Miller on a platform for 800 area residents to come and look at to see if anybody recognized him as having worked in town. They put him on a platform in public show. Yeah. Oh, wow. And they said, stand here. Let's see if anybody recognizes you. And nobody had seen him in town. Hmm. So they're they're saying, well, that couldn't be true. And then they got further confirmation when Miller's foreman at Carnegie Steel in the Pittsburgh area came forward with records showing Miller had clocked in for work the day Francis was killed. Yeah, how, so how could he be that far away? Yeah, right. so there's no way. Okay. Um, and Francis certainly wasn't killed by a rap across the eye with a pistol. You know, Miller, he sent police on several wild goose chases in search of this revolver and bloody shirt that he had talked about. They were never fr- found. Miller also offered that he was engaged to Francis's 16-year-old sister, Fern, so police, poor Fern, they had to drag her out to take a look at this guy. And, and she says, I've never laid eyes on that man in my life. Well, they wasted a lot of time on this Harry Miller. So authorities decided Harry Miller was demented. Innocent, but demented. So on April 20, now this is 27 days after Francis was killed, mm-hmm. another murder about 16 miles away in Martins Ferry, Ohio, Temporarily distracted the investigators, someone there had murdered an elderly woman and a daughter. But that distraction was short-lived. That killer used a razor. Nothing about the two crime scenes were similar. But again, ate up some time, took investigators away from Adena. Well, Francis had a funeral service at the Adena Methodist Episcopal Church. News reports talked about her being buried in a cemetery at the edge of town, but today, interestingly, no one seems to know where her grave is. Hmm. According to the Harrison Historical Society online, the rest of her family is buried at Mount Pleasant, but they suspect she is not with them. Hmm. And sadly, really sadly, the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office has no evidence or files of this case. According to investigative reporters who have tried to look into it, nothing remains. Not even the bloody clothing. N- well, yeah, not even that. Jeez. Nothing. Not even paperwork. I mean, given the criticism of the way those early 19th century investigators handled this case, I suppose that's not a 
surprise ending. Well, this is a horrible case. It took 15 hours for the sheriff to send someone to the scene of the crime after the body was found? Yeah, yeah that, that's what the citizen's petition said. That's ridiculous. I kind of like that they all got together and signed something. You know? Yeah, and you know, a thousand people in a little world town. That's big. That's a lot of people. That's huge. So you're darn right they listened. Well, let's hand this off to our armchair detective. Tonight with us, we have Autumn Yoder, a mom of seven from Akron, Ohio. Welcome, Autumn. Thank you. I am looking forward to hearing what you have to say about this case, being a mom yourself. That must have been hard to listen to. Yeah, thinking of what an 11-year-old girl went through before she died, that's pretty tough. That is pretty tough. Yes. Let's go through the suspect list. Um, Pick one out. (laughs) Um. Well, I'm going to start with the Mike guy, Mike. Mike Anonchek, yes. the Russian guy. Yes. They, I was reading some clippings, and they said that um, he shared a room with Popo Petovich. Yeah, you say his it. buddy. And Petovich kind of pointed the finger at him and said, hey, there's bloodstained clothes in our room that we share, and it's his. And the lady at the house also said that, she had found uh, him burning a pair of trousers and a pair of shoes after returning that day. They found blood-stained underwear, shirt, and a muddy jacket in his room. And partially burned socks were found hidden in the cellar of the boarding room. Now, who burns clothing? I mean, that sounds pretty damning. Is it, yes. So is a Mike and Anchek? clothing, too. Well... His lawyer says that they had proof that he was miles away at the time, which made me think, uh, was this guy being set up because who just partially burns a pair of bloody socks and then hides the rest? Oh, yeah, yeah. And the woman that of the house, there's news reports saying that she went missing after he was arrested. And she she was also in cahoots with the Pepovich to... uh, to point the finger at him. Wow. So I'm wondering why they didn't look more into the guy who shared the room with him. So I see two possibilities there. Maybe maybe they knew something about the child or maybe the blood was related to the child or maybe not. Maybe they had something against an Anchek and they just wanted to get him in trouble. And he it said that he had came there for work and that's why he was at the boarding house. So he probably didn't have very many friends. It was probably easy to point the finger at an outsider, you know? Yeah. Um, I just thought it was kind of fishy for half some stuff to be burned, some not. Yeah, leave yeah. just enough for the police to see it. Right. Oh, that's exactly. a good idea. And then Gus. Gus. The Greek. Okay, so the Greek. Yeah, so I found a news clipping that called him Just Texas. Yes. <laughs> But you found plenty of evidence that his real name was actually Gus Pessis. Yes. Which means the reporter on the news story that I was reading needed his ears cleaned out. So Gus Pessis, the Greek. What do you think about that guy? There, there isn't much dated like uh, evidence-wise, except that it says in the, in the newspapers that they found a, some hair on his coat that resembled Francis's hair. 
but they do have one woman and three men who who said that they saw him at 11 o'clock at the spot that she was found on the side of the road and at four at that same spot that she was found. So twice they, they said they saw him. That's probably why they decided to pick him up. But we can see that eyewitnesses aren't always on because Mike Onachuk was also spotted by a telephone lineman, said that he saw Mike there. And two women claimed to see Mike Onachuk, too. Oh, and we know he uh, wasn't. Right. Oh. So I don't know how far you can Boy, go. Boy, the police races. really have their hands full, don't they? They do. I mean, investigators just figuring out how to sort through what's real and what's not. Yes. Wow. I also thought it'd be cool to state that the $2,000 reward, I looked it up to see how much that was in 1920, and it equals to $25,000 today. So there was a pretty hefty reward for Francis' murder. 25000 was a lot of money. Yes. You know, they didn't have social media. They weren't collecting this money from out of state, right. you know. I no mean, GoFundMe back then. Exactly. Boy, you'd think that money would be enough to... Well, see, the the thing with that money, it's enough to get people to come out and say, hey, I saw Mike and Anchecked at this site. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, apparently it wasn't enough to get the real story or at least enough of a story that they could bring an indictment on anybody. And the lady of the house sure didn't stick around for that 25000 She disappeared right after Mike was arrested. Yeah. Is that the lady that the constable pushed around? You know, I... Or was that a different lady? I didn't get to... Uh, I couldn't find... Whatever you got, whatever you found, yeah. was uh, something I did not find because I couldn't find anywhere it said that the con- anything about the constable pushing her around. Uh-huh. It just said officers were seeking the woman who is said to have given the first clues regarding Anacek. She disappeared yesterday following Anacek's arrival here. Wow. And I just assumed... That was her, or maybe it was one of the witnesses that said that they saw him, but uh, I assumed it was her because she was the one that said that she saw him burning clothes. Okay. This this constable, John Crawford, uh, you know, there was a arrest and conviction in this case, and it was against one of the investigators, this constable, John Crawford, for beating up suspects and, mm-hmm. and trying to get confessions. What what did you think? I mean, were you convinced this case was botched? Um, yes. Um, it's. I mean, there was a lot of. It seemed like they were gung ho on on blaming the the black men. I thought it also be nice to state that the year that she died was also the year that they put in roads to, and that the population started to become greater there because they had put in roads that probably made it access for somebody to drive in, do this, and drive out maybe. Oh, yeah. You know. And lots of strangers in town. Right. Yeah. Working on the roads and I the did miners. not know that. That's a really good point. Yeah. said the mayor at the time put those in. In okay. 1920, he paved the roads. And so. that's the year we're talking about. Yeah. Wow. What about this guy in uh, uh, Henry Miller? So he's at this... Um, Revival meeting in a church, and he throws up his hands and says, I did it, I did it. They obviously proved that he didn't, but 
man, it's so hard sometimes. Unless clearly, you know, unless he's just got a mental problem. Yeah, it's so hard to understand why people willingly that, confess to horrible, horrible that, things that, that they didn't do. That took me back to, to Marion. That made me think of Marion. Marion Brubaker. Yes. Yeah. Because that crazy guy confessed to hers and. Yeah, Mary Brubaker was our very first episode ever, and there was a kind of a drifter police had focused in on, and he says, yeah, I did it, and he took him out and showed him how he did it, and then they eventually decided, oh, you're insane, and put him away. That also, the Marion case made me think, well, was Francis killed by a, a teenage boy? Because, I mean, stomping seems very kiddish to me, maybe... He didn't realize that it takes four minutes to choke somebody. So after getting frustrated, sure not dying from strangling, did he get frustrated and just start stomping her? It made me think maybe maybe a child did it because, yeah. I don't know, it seemed like something an angry child would get out of frustration, like, why aren't you dying? You know, like yeah. a lot of people don't understand that it takes a whole four minutes to choke somebody to choke out, someone. you know? Oh, that's a good And point. she did have that rope around her neck like they initially tried to strangle her. And she would, and I also said she put up quite a struggle. If it said that there was evidence that she really fought for her life, I don't think if there were several grown men, there would be much of a struggle. Right. So that made me also think, was this person more of her size? Because she did put up such a fight. She was able to put up such a fight. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very good point. Well, I think you've given us some new things to think about. And I love when our armchair detectives come on and they have done their own research and they bring new things to it that we either didn't know or didn't bring up in the podcast. So thanks for the extra research on You're that. You're welcome. The <laughs> I had fun doing that. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, that's it for tonight, campers. Remember... You can always find photos, news clippings, links, and more associated with each and every episode at our website, ohiomysteries.com. And now it's time to share a little more about our musical artist of the week. We love promoting Ohio musicians. Tonight's singer-songwriter is Palomera. That's his last name, by the way. His first name is Andrew. Oh, okay. He's originally from Dallas, Texas, but he's in Cincinnati now, so we're going to make a buckeye out of him. Yeah, he's ours now. Yeah. Palomero's full-time day job is at the Cincinnati Art Museum, and he's a high school soccer coach to boot. But like so many talented musicians, he tries hard to find the time to write songs and perform for others when he can. You can find him on all the social media sites. Just search for his last name, P-A-L-A-M-A-R-A. That sounds... uh, That's a mouthful. Yeah, that sounds kind of lyrical itself right there. And if you search for that name at bandcamp.com, you can sample and buy his music. So tonight's song is Misunderstood. He wrote the lyrics as a way of exploring what a strange process it can be, trying to feel accepted and secure with ourselves. And he said, he told me, and this is a quote, sometimes it's frustrating, other times it's funny, but it's rarely ever dull. (laughs) We've added this song to our playlist on Spotify. If you go to our featured music link at our website, you'll find a button that will take you straight to the jukebox where we put together all of our talented Ohioans on our podcast. But right now, how about we treat you to the full version of Misunderstood? And let's all gather back here next week for a brand new 
Ohio Mystery. Well, I tried the East Coast, but I couldn't feel the fire. I never learned the words to the young man's diatribe. Gave up my margin, followed no one for a change. I saw the light and it ain't so strange. Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world, from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.